I heard a story of a young man who woke up and said, Mom, I don't, I don't want to go to church. I'm too tired. I don't want to go. And Mom said, you have to go. I don't want to go. It's, it's too long. I don't want to go. You have to go. But Mom, the people aren't nice to me, and I don't like the way they look at me. I, I don't want to go. Son, you have to go. You're the pastor. You have to go. <laughs> Honestly, as a church, um, I cannot relate to that at all. We, we love you. Um, we love our church. We, we started about seven and a half years ago. Actually, this, this May 14th, will be um, Tasha's and, and my eighth anniversary. And, uh, and we, we went on an extended honeymoon, prayed a lot, talked a lot about just what our lives would look like. And we prayed that we would, if the Lord so called us, to start a church at some point. And um, we came home, and the first thing I did was speak to the senior pastor of my church and just said, Tasha and I are just praying. We're, we're praying about, at some point, if God would call us to start a church. And, he, and his response was, I knew that we'd have this conversation someday. I, I knew that God had called you towards this. Let's just meet once a week and pray about it and until, until God has that happen. And, and we agreed. And a week later, he called me. And to the day, he called me and said, we're having a board meeting tonight, and, and we're going to have to make some layoffs in we're not going to let you off, but we just want to know your time frame. Is it going to be, you know, we, if it's only going to be a few months, then we, we don't want to lay someone off and then have you leave, and we could have kept them. And, and, and so we just want to know your time frame. And I, I said, you know, I, honestly, I, I thought years. I was thinking years. Everybody tells you don't make major changes in the first year of marriage, and <laughs> it seems wise. And... I was thinking years, and we talked more, and I said, you know, but if, if the elder board agrees to send us out now, if they believe that's what God's calling us to, then this was in, in late June that we talked, or middle of June. I, I just said, if the elder board agrees, then we would just want to continue through August because there's so many activities with the youth, as I was a youth pastor, and, um, and we would just want to finish all that God's called us to here before, before the end of summer. And he said, okay, well, I'll meet with them and pray. And honestly, I, I walked away just thinking, what, what did I just do? I think I just quit my job. I don't, I, I just bought a new house. I just got married. I am the worst provider ever right now. And, and I, think I, I think I quit my job and I have no idea what is gonna be next. Um, I don't know where we would meet. I don't even know who would come. I think I'd make my family come. But besides that, I, <laughs> I don't know who would come. And we met with some people, many of who are here, some families in our, in our family room at the beginning of July of 2005. And... Um, and we had our first service 
on September 4th of 2005. And I just recount God's faithfulness this morning to our church. Not knowing what things were going to be like, but watching God work. We are far from being a perfect church. We're filled with, with people who are sinners, including your pastor. Um, the Holy Spirit's working in our church to mold us and to conform us into his image. He's, he's building us up and he is changing us. And, and as a result, the church is growing stronger and stronger all the time as God's word affects us. But I praise him for what he has done. I look around this room and I praise him for who he has brought to our church. People who, who maybe we've just met in the last month, some who came because they, they found a, like the Schwartz family, found a, a, a flyer, a bulletin in a, at Bagels and Brew on the ground. Others who came because they were invited by a friend, some because they drove by and saw a banner. Um, and, and he's built the church. He continues to build the church. And I praise him for what he has done. When I think of our church, what came to mind was the church of Philadelphia in Revelation 3, verse 7. Let's just read. We'll read verses 7 and 8 this morning. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia, right? These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. You look at the seven churches that God speaks about in the book of Revelation, and there's, there's two. There's two that are not rebuked. One is Smyrna, which is going through just incredible persecution. And the other is the church of Philadelphia, as we find here. You find churches in the book of Revelation as it's talking about these seven churches and some some have become lukewarm some have lost their first love some are in a place where they say we're rich and we have need of nothing some have allowed false doctrine to come in some seem like they're alive but they're dead and you look here at this particular church and Here's God speaking about it. You think of, of, of churches in general, and you're, you're looking for a church, or people talking about looking for a church, and, and what they, they say sometimes is, I, I want to find a church that, 
that meets our needs. I want to find a church that has these programs. I want to find a church that I fit into. I want to find a church that seems relevant. I want to find a church where the pastor is fun to listen to. I, I want to find a church where the worship is exciting. I want to find a church where, where there's a rock band that's up there that just plays like that or where they only do hymns. I want to find a church where it's like this or like that and they have this mind set as far as this is what I want to see in, in a church. And yet, for us as a church, I, I'm not looking to hope that people find us to be cool or funny or relevant um, or entertainment-oriented. Um, I look for w- what does God want us to be like? What, what does he see? What does he say that is good for us? Here... He begins the section by saying, these things says he who is holy, he who is true. God who is holy, a God who is true. What he says is truth. And he's perfect in his righteousness and his holiness. He, he has the key of David. He has the key to, to the, the authority to open those doors. He is the Messiah. He is the one who... who is the, the one who has come from the seed of, of, of David, the one that everybody had been looking forward to. He is all-powerful, a God who opens and no one can shut it. A God who opens doors and there's nobody that can shut those doors. And he shuts doors and nobody can open them. I mean, it is just a, a passage that exalts God's sovereignty as he's, as he's saying, this is who I am, who am saying these things. I am a God who, who does whatever I desire to do. You see in Isaiah 43 and verse 13 where it says, God says, indeed, before the day was, I am he, and there's no one who can deliver, deliver out of my hand. I work, and who will reverse it? A God who speaks like that. I do whatever I desire to do. I work, and who is there that can reverse what I do? And we look here at him describing himself in Revelation 3, 7. He says, I, I open and no one can shut the door. I shut doors, nobody can open them. And then he says, I know your works. He's looking upon this church there in Philadelphia and he says, I know your works. I see what you do. I see it. And that's how God would be towards Reverence Bible Church. He sees it all. He sees whether it is that we have become lukewarm. He sees whether or not we've lost our first love. He sees whether or not we have allowed false doctrine to come in. He sees whether or not we say we are alive, but we're dead. And he sees whether or not we are in a place where he desires for us to be. He sees the works. He sees, he sees ministries that take place like Tabitha's hands, where there's these women from the church that get together and they make these quilts. They make quilts and... 
And they make them for people in the church who are suffering, who have gone through a hard time, who are hospitalized, suffered the loss of a loved one. Women get together and they, and and men too, and they, they pray. They just pray. They pray for the person, the family. And then they give them this quilt that just, many of you have just laid there on your couch or in your bed or in your hospital bed with this quilt that has these little knots and you know with every knot the saints were praying specifically for you. He sees the the works. He sees the youth leaders who are ministering to those in the youth ministry and just pouring their lives into discipleship. He sees the works. He sees those who study to prepare to go and to teach the Sunday school. Cause the kids' hearts to just be ignited with, with joy in Christ. He sees the meetings that take place where a couple of you get together and you go to Starbucks or you go out to dinner and you exhort one another and encourage one another and encourage one another to, to treasure Christ more than anything in this world. He sees the works. He sees all of it. And he says, See, I have set before you an open door. And no one can shut it. I've set before you an open door. A door for the gospel to go forward. I've set before you an open door. A door for, for you to come and to be fed. A door for for God's glory to be proclaimed. I've set doors that are open and I, I, I open them. Being a, a, a small church in, in South Orange County, I, I heard so many times from people in seminary saying, man, I would never plant a church in Orange County and Southern California for that matter. It's just, how do you start? I mean, it takes Millions and millions and millions of dollars to give or get a property. How would anybody ever, ever do that? And I remember talking with, with Pastor Bill as we started, and we're meeting at Tribuca Hills and looking at it. The, as we are sent out, the church that we left gave us $5,000, and looking at the circumstances and having it be where it's, it just seemed almost, I mean, literally just impossible. And then watching God's faithfulness, Pastor Bill said, if we ever get a church building, it will be a miracle. It'll be something where the only thing that we'll ever be able to do is just give all the glory to God because it'll be miraculous. Four and a half years later, we close escrow on this building. You look at it and you just think of God's faithfulness. He opens doors and no one can shut them. There's nothing that's too hard for him. Then he says, for, for you have a little strength. You have a, a little strength. And I think that rightly represents us. A little, a little strength. A little, a little church. A little church who was a church in a box and we would set up every Sunday morning, take down every Sunday morning. A little church who meets in this little place that's here in 
I know people who have lived in Mission Viejo their whole lives, and I try to tell them where we're at, and they're like, where? Isn't that like a neighborhood? And like, no, you... Like, if you look really hard when you're going down Los Alisos through the trees, you'll see a building there. Or you'll, you'll at least see this, this old air conditioner. It's there. And, and I try to explain, and they say, ah, I've never seen that place before. You have little strength. Or a little church. A little church who... who has a few people on staff, a few more people part-time. But by and large, it's just, it's, it's just the, the congregation that serves together. One man here yesterday spoke with, just said, as he cleaned all of the toilets, we have a lot of toilets at Reverence Bible Church. My response was, the city says we need more. And yet you look, and they're just serving, just serving. How can I serve? People volunteering, how can I serve? What can, what can I do? You have little strength. We're not the wisest. We're not the wealthiest. We don't have everything all together. And yet God has worked miraculously. Hasn't he? Just out of curiosity, for, for no other reason, I was just curious. I asked Pastor Jim Milligan, I said, can you just tell me how many, this, this week I asked him, can you just tell me how many sermons have been downloaded from our site? Just curious on how many. And having no idea, I mean, I, I figure that some of you listen to it when you're, when you miss the, the Sunday so you could keep up in Romans or so you could keep up in Colossians. So he did a search on the site to see how many sermons had been downloaded since we started our church. And the number that came back was 207,612. 200, over 207,000? It lists them by countries. Over 100 different countries. I had, I had no idea. 41,972 downloaded in China. 6,780 in Russia. 3,967 in Belgium. Belgium. Sorry if you're listening. I, I, I just went there and I didn't know anybody there. I was just pleased with their waffles and chocolate. I had no idea that people were listening to Little Reverence Bible Church in Belgium. And then there was others that just surprised me incredibly, like Saudi Arabia, 258. Saudi Arabia. And I just look and I think, I had no idea until Wednesday that that these people were listening to the sermons. You pour your heart into preaching God's word just 
for me with a mindset of, I love our sheep here at our church. I want you to treasure Christ more than anything. I want there to be such clarity in the gospel. Clarity that, that you are saved and it is a salvation that comes, it comes by faith alone. It's only by faith that we're saved. And it's only through Christ. It's all by God's grace. It's not of our works, lest anyone should ever boast. It's all as a result of Him. It's all for His glory. And Scripture alone is our authority. We preach this and we want our congregation to understand. I want you who, who sit there and question, am I saved? Am I saved? I don't know if I'm saved. I did this or I did that. I want you to, to look and say, like, no, I know I'm saved because, because I'm saved by faith. My only hope is in Christ and what he's done for me on the cross. It was sufficient and I just want you to treasure him. I want to preach Christ and, and have you see that he has fulfilled everything for you. He's given you all of his righteousness. He keeps you by his Holy Spirit to the day of redemption, that he holds you in his hand, and the Father who's greater than all holds you in his hand. There's no one that can ever snatch you away. And I want you to be so secure in him because of the cross and by faith in him alone and just love him and trust him and look and and let goods and kindred go in this mortal life also if necessary because you treasure him. And we preach because we, we want you, whether it be the children's ministry or the junior high ministry or the youth ministry or the young adults ministry or the men's ministry or the women's ministry or wherever it is, we want us as a congregation just to treasure Christ and have his word sowed in our heart that we might not sin against him and just love him and fall in love with him more and more as we get to know him more and more as we study his word. And, and we just, we so badly want to be a healthy congregation who has proper theology and loves God's word and has a proper view of salvation. And as a result, oh, we just want to go to the uttermost parts of the world and proclaim the gospel. That's where our heart is. And God is doing that here. And yet apparently 207 plus thousand sermons have also been downloaded on the internet. If we look, we say this just, it's, it's, he opens doors and no one can shut them. We don't even know if some of these doors are open. I didn't until Wednesday. Praise God for that. I had no idea. And yet you look and you just see God's faithfulness. You have a little strength. He doesn't need us to be big, brothers and sisters. He doesn't doesn't need more programs. He doesn't need for us to have some incredible model to follow and have like, a five-year goal and a 10-year goal and all of this. He doesn't need that from us. He just tells this little church, you have a little strength. You have a little strength. But you've kept my word. You You have a little strength. And you have kept, you have kept my word. May that be us for as long as we exist as a church until the Lord returns. You've kept you've kept my word. A church that proclaims God's word in the children's ministry all the way through to here on Sunday mornings. I think God would say that about our church. 
You've kept my word. We go verse by verse through scripture and study it and, and try to understand it. And, and the whole time I'm preparing, it's what does it say? What does the text say? I don't want to give you my message. I don't want to give you some kind of self-help study. There's no psychology that's in this. I'm not working through trying to find good stories. I just want to know what does the text say? What does it say? Because it doesn't matter what your pastor thinks. What it matters is what does this text say? The word is what matters. You see it all through scripture where that is to be emphasized. God's word. In 2 Timothy, we're told all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word has been given to us and it is inspired. It is the very words of God. It is exactly what God would want us to know for life, for godliness, so that we could be thoroughly equipped for Every good work. And so he looks at this little church. You have little strength, but you've kept my word. And it equips you for everything that I'm calling you to do. Second Timothy 4, verse 1. It's, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to fables. And we look at this and say, God, help us never to do that, but rather to preach the word, just to proclaim the word. What does the word say? To preach the text. We've had people come to our church and, and leave. And as much as possible, I ask them, why are they leaving? And one family responded by saying, you, like, no offense, but you, you guys pray too much. <laughs> I mean, you start out with prayer and then... The worship leader prays again, and then you guys pray for the offering. And, and then you pray again before the sermon, and then even at the end of the sermon, you pray again. And there's, too, there's a lot of singing, and the sermon is just way too long. And I just thought, well, I can't fix that for you. <laughs> it is kind of about him. There's a reason why we pray is we're desperately in need of him. There's a reason why we sing and it's because we love him. And there's a reason why we study his word and it's because it's true. It's the only thing that we know to be true. I preached on Romans 1 dealing with the sin of homosexuality. Just, just preaching on this is what the text says. They, that God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things that aren't fitting. 
and then it's sin. It can be forgiven. Just like any sin, it can be forgiven. God doesn't make them like that. That it's sin, it's a choice that they make. And they can be forgiven just like I'm in desperate need of forgiveness. Just like each person here is in desperate need of forgiveness. There is a sin of homosexuality. And this is what God says. And He even says that, and such were some of you. And a list of all kinds of different sins. And yet God's forgiven us. And I'll tell you, I remember there were people there that day that I have never seen since. I could see by the looks of their on their faces is I can't believe you're saying something like that. That's hateful. That's terrible. I, why would you say something like that? And I just think, how is that hateful? It's, it's the most loving thing to do to preach the text. To say this is what God says and, and he can forgive the sin and he can wash you as white as snow and he can enable you to follow him. And yet, there's those that don't want to hear that. I, as Pastor Jim Milligan shared earlier, the United States Army blocking the Southern Baptist Convention website because of their position on homosexuality. That they're a hateful group. The largest Protestant denomination in our country. And those in the armed services can't go to their website because they're a hateful group. They can't go to focus on the family's website because it's a hateful group. And we would be categorized like that because of our stance of this is what God says. And yet, he says to this little church, I know your works. See, I've said it before you an open door and no one can shut it, for you have little strength, but have kept my word. You've kept it. You preach it. In Acts 2, you see the early church, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Mattered to them. Steadfastly. Let's let's study God's word. Let's study doctrine. Let's study it. Let's have a biblical theology that comes from God's word. What does he say? Who are we as people? Who is he as God? How is it that we could be saved? What is the church supposed to be like? What does God say in his word? When will he return? How are we to function as brothers and sisters in Christ? It is absolutely essential that we have a biblical theology, that we care. And I look and we have members in our church who have suffered just in incredible ways. And I'll tell you, it matters in, in times like that. It, it, it matters that you, you know God and you know his word and you think biblically. It just, there's nothing more important to us in, in, than that we have this foundation of knowing God and his sovereignty and his power. That when trials come, we're able to say like Job, 
Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I'll return. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. To be able to have a position like we've studied last week, that we know and we know that all things work together for good. We need that. We need to have a theology that brings us to a place of having such a majestic and high view of God that we trust him even in a sinful world where terrible things happen. That we have a view of God that we, we trust even in times of difficult providence. That we look and we say, I, I trust him. I love him. I don't understand this, but I know that he's good and I know that he has a plan. And I know that he's working this for my good and I may not ever understand it. But though he slay me, I'll bless him. I'll worship him. I'll love him. To be able to, to have a theology that is like that, a biblical theology, is absolutely essential for us as a church. You see Paul speaking to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God which you had heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. You, you received the word of God in it. It wasn't just the words of men. When we read the text, it's not just, oh, someone said that. It is, thus saith the Lord. This is what God says. When we read scripture, as we read together early in the morning, where first thing is just let's read scripture together corporately as a body. We're reading it knowing that it is powerful. You see in scripture where it tells us the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Hebrews 4.12, God's word is sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces us, doesn't it? kept his word. And the gospel, we proclaim the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There is no desire here at Reverence Bible Church to improve on the gospel. You can't improve on it. There's no desire for us to make it so that it becomes a, a little bit more um, popular or less confrontational or easier to receive. There's no effort to minimize sin. Or to not talk about hell. Or to not talk about the blood of Christ. We as a church are in a very healthy place of proclaiming the gospel. We as people are sinners. There's no righteousness that we have of our own. Our hands are empty. Our righteousness is like filthy rags in his sight. There's nothing that's good in us. There's nothing that could ever earn his favor. We would never even seek after him. There's none of us that do good. We are in desperate need of grace. And yet what you find in the gospel is that Christ, he died on the cross for our sins. He shed his blood, took the full wrath 
that we deserved upon himself. That whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's not based on your works. It's all based on faith. And it's based on what Christ has done. And it's all of him. And he gets all of the glory. It's the gospel. We're sinners in desperate need of forgiveness. We're going in a direction of spending eternity in hell apart from Christ taking that upon himself so that we could spend eternity in heaven being made new creations in Christ and washed of all of our sin, past, present, and future. All of it, all of our hope is in the gospel. And to get that right is critical to us. It's critical that we don't try to make it prettier. It's perfect. God said it. He says we're sinners. He says there's no righteousness that we have. He says that he's fulfilled it all. He said that it was finished upon the cross. He said that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's the gospel. We can't make it better and we'll just proclaim it everywhere we go. Last night I sat with a man who was laying on his deathbed. Unable to respond, but I just spoke into his ear the gospel. Just proclaimed the gospel to him. His family listened in, but I just, I just proclaimed the gospel to him. Christ forgives sin. Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Our only hope in this life is what Christ has done for us on the cross, speaking to him loudly in his ear, just that he might hear. And within an hour, he died. better thing can I bring to that man than the gospel? And what better thing can we bring to our neighbor than the gospel? We pray every morning when we drop Jonathan off at school that God would give him opportunities to proclaim the gospel. On Wednesday, he said, Daddy, why do you pray that every time? Everybody at my school is a Christian, Daddy. Why would you pray that every time? Oh, son, there's nothing better that we could ever proclaim than the gospel. Whole ride there and the whole ride back, we talked about the gospel. Why it is that the gospel is the best news that we could ever bring to anybody. Whether they're five years old and in transitional kindergarten. Or whether they're in a hospital bed. To proclaim the gospel. We preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. It is the power of God to change hearts. In fact, Paul says to the church in Galatia, where's So many of you turning away from the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. There's some of you who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel. But if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As I said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received. Let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. The worst thing that we could ever do is to try to change the gospel. It's the gospel. It's the good news. We proclaim it, don't we, brothers and sisters? We proclaim it over and over again. We proclaim the gospel. 
we have little strength. Yep. Pastor Don and Lindy will be leaving for China and the Philippines this next week. Cheryl Ryder will be going to China for the next two months. She'll, next Sunday will be here last Sunday, and then she'll go to China and proclaim the gospel in China for two months. My dad just got back from Korea. We've done trips this year to Vietnam, to Haiti, to Uganda, to Sudan, Kenya, India, Thailand, Cambodia, Romania, Russia, France, Nicaragua. Kelly Schwartz has gone all over Europe, Africa, all over the place, teaching people how to teach children. You look and we may have little strength, but we will go and make disciples and proclaim the gospel wherever God calls us to be. Amen? And look at it and just say, God, help us to do that. Help us to have a heart for that. People say, are you guys a missions church? I I don't even know how to respond to that. All, All I think is, I don't want to be known as a missions church, and I don't want to be known as as this kind of church or that kind of. I, I just I want us to be known as a church who we just we love Christ, we love Him, we love His Word. Everything that we study, it doesn't just become dead head knowledge, but it goes to our hearts and changes us to make it so that we have this message and we desire to go to our neighbor and go to our workplace, and go to the uttermost parts of the world proclaiming the gospel, not because we have to, or not because it's some other kind of of duty or obligation that we have, but because it is the greatest joy that we have to obey him, to keep his word, and to go and worship him by proclaiming to the uttermost parts of the world, behold your God, this is who he is. He is not small. He is not a tree. He is not this wooden idol. He is not a God who, who is an animal or can be controlled. He is the God of the universe, and this is what he has done. And we love others, and we love our church, and it affects us because we don't just come into this place of being isolated, but we desire to take the gifts that God's given us and to use them to the uttermost parts of the world, and here in our local body because it's affected us. The gospel has affected us. Our knowledge of Christ has affected us to where we love him, we worship him. It changes everything about us. It changes everything in us. What we treasure because we treasure him. It is the only way we could be a healthy church. We treasure him. I've met people who have come here and they've said, It's interesting at the church, something that's different than what I found in other places sometimes is that I talk to people after and they come up and they say hi, but these aren't like the elders or the pastors. These are just people that come to the church. And one of the things that I found about it is that they love the church. They love it. They love one another, but they just, oh, we love the church. You don't love the church because of me or because of the youth pastor or because of the building. You love the church because of Christ and him crucified and you here in it. I could be gone tomorrow and Reverence Bible Church will be safe and we will be fine and we will continue to proclaim the gospel. This is not a church about 
any one or two or ten individuals. It is about a group of people who love Christ and treasure him, and they love the gospel. And as a result, it changes everything for us. We love each other. I know that we need to grow in that. We live in a time where I walked through my neighborhood. I walked just the other day and said to someone who was redoing the yard, hey, guys, you did a great job in this yard. It looks so good. I like doing landscaping sometimes. I think it's genetic. But you look at it, and it's, I, I like it. And, and, and they said, oh, where do you live? I said, oh, right there. How, how long have you lived here? Eight years. I'm surprised we haven't met. We're like 20 yards away. That's kind of weird, huh? And you look, and, and, and that's kind of the way that we live, don't we? I mean, we, we, we kind of like, we isolate ourselves. And it's easy to, to come in and not get to know people. And yet, God help us not to be like that. God help us to love each other, to get to know people. I, I know that some of you have felt very loved when you've come to the doors of the church. And I know from the testimony of others that, that you didn't. But thank you for being patient with us. God, help us to get better at it by his working in our lives to change us, to give us a heart for him, for one another. God, help us to have older people minister to younger people. God, help us to have married people minister to single people and single people minister to married people. God, help us not to categorize ourselves. Oh, please, Reverence Bible Church, don't categorize yourself. Get to know people. Love the young people. Love the older people. When, when Earl Milligan passed, seen a couple dozen of you in his room of all ages, a lot of young people being there to, to sing songs to him and rubbing his feet and loving him. In the final minutes of his life was praiseworthy to me. It was a joy to watch Earl Milligan, 94 years old, get ushered into eternity with the body of Christ surrounding him and just loving him. Listening to the doctor say, when I die, I want it to look like this. Don't even know if he was a believer. I want it to look like this. Love each other like that. Use the gifts that God has given you. Romans 12 says, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. You have gifts that have been given to you. Use them. Brothers and sisters, use them. For us to be a healthy church, you can't hide your gift or bury it. Please use it. You may not ever come and speak from this pulpit. My wife, you'll... We made a covenant before we got married, before she said yes, that I would not make her come up here and say, thus saith the Lord. <laughs> that would like, it, it would, we would not be married today <laughs> if it was that kind of deal. Because she's not gifted in that. But she can crunch numbers. Her little hand goes faster than anybody I've ever seen. And some of you guys know she can give the best hugs ever, especially when you're hurting. And she'll weep with those that are weeping, and she'll rejoice with those that are rejoicing, and she'll love you. 
And every person here has been gifted in a different way. Stir it up. Use it for one another and for God's glory. You see here in this text where he says, you have little strength, but have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. Powerful. You have not denied my name. His name is who he is. Christ, our Savior. We're not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. But we look at Christ and who he is, and God help us not ever to deny his name, but to be in a place where it's, behold your God, this is who he is. This is who he says that he is. He is worthy of everything in your life. We do not deny his name. We keep his word. We don't deny his name. He is the center of every part of our church. From the worship songs to the prayers, every part of the church is centered upon Christ. He is why we are here. He is why we exist. God help us to continue. I love our church. I'm thankful for you all. I'm thankful that I get to be a part of it. I pray that this upcoming year we will see Christ work even more so in our hearts. Building friendships. That the kids might be taught. That our youth might treasure him more than anything else. And that people who come through the doors of the church, when it comes time for us to close and sing in the song, they, they will never have to wonder whether we believe the things that we talk about with reference to who our God is and how it is that we've been saved. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time. As we close, Lord, in a song of praise, Lord, I pray that you would be exalted, that you would be glorified, that we as a church, Lord, would in unison praise you with all that is within us. Thank you for our church. May you cause us to stir up the gifts that are within us. May you cause us to continue to keep your word. Help us never to be lukewarm or to have lost our first love. Keep us from having divisions within us. Enable us to forgive. Enable us to love. Enable us to find unity in Christ, in you, Lord. And may we grow in our wisdom and our knowledge of you and our passion for you that, that we would shine brightly both here as well as in China or Saudi Arabia or Belgium or Israel, or wherever you call us to go. May you be exalted, Lord. May we decrease, but may you increase. We love you, Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.